My brother's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill you and he's gonna kill me. He's gonna kill us. Hey, man, just be glad I had fast reflexes. My brother's gonna shit. Make up your mind, dude. Is he gonna shit or is he gonna kill us? First he's gonna shit, then he's gonna kill us. Hello, friends. Thought I'd give you the Joe Rogan intro this week. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's another edition of Sell Porn or Die Trying. I am your host, Connor Young. I am the CEO and co-owner of Why Not? And this is my show. This is my show where we talk about the business side of the adult entertainment industry. If you are an affiliate, if you're interested in affiliate marketing, if you're a business executive, if you are a marketing executive, if you're a webmaster, if you build websites, this is a show for you. If you're out there trying to sell, if you're out there trying to do your thing, this is your show. And with respect to the marketing people in the room, we've got a fantastic guest for you this week. I'm really pleased to say Jason Hunt from Merge Media will be talking with us here in a little bit. The interview that I uh, conducted with Jason earlier, I'm really pleased to share it because He's a, a terrific guy. Uh, he's got his own podcast as well. He's a marketing expert, uh, really knowledgeable about social media marketing and, of course, the challenges that most of us face there, which are, are getting uh, more and more difficult by the day. And Jason had some wonderful shot thoughts to share with us on that. Really insightful interview. Uh, looking forward to sharing that with you. couple bits of news first, I got to say. Uh, first, that Why Not Summit is happening here uh, one day from when I'm recording this. It's going to be one day until Why Not Summit kicks off. So if you're listening to this podcast later, if you're listening to this podcast after uh, July the 9th, then I'm afraid you missed it. If you're listening to this podcast, however, before July 7th, well, we're actually kicking off on July 7th, early in the morning. It's a 100% virtual conference, meaning you can attend. You don't need to, you don't have to pay. It's free, uh, free for you to attend. You can attend from your, wherever you're at, from your home. You can wear whatever you want to wear. You can, uh, you, you know, you can chill. You can grab a drink from your refrigerator and come watch the sessions. Why Not Summit is a dual track virtual summit. And uh, it has one track really that's focused on topics that are of interest to marketers, affiliates, business executives, really the same people who we target this show at right here. Uh, we've got a track just for you, full of great topics, things like we have a, a legal panel with industry attorneys who will be talking about the latest legal developments. We've got a, a whole session around the challenge of creating platforms that allow user-generated content and, and, and how you deal with that. That's actually becoming uh, a more and more important issue I'd say as uh, as time goes on, so definitely worth tuning into that and attending that. We've got multiple sessions on affiliate marketing, traffic. How do you get traffic? How do you up your traffic game? Um, make more sales. We've got sessions on building websites that are content rich that will attract organic traffic that you can then you know monetize again and again. Uh, with your own brands attached. And all these topics and more we'll be talking about at Why Not Summit. You really want to attend this thing live. Some people ask, hey, are you going to have recordings after the fact? We do have some of them after the fact. But quite honestly, we like to encourage everybody to attend these shows in person because it's one thing, you know, watching a video, but it's another thing when you're actually in the room and you can ask questions live and participate in the in the chat that's going on while while these sessions are taking place. 
there's going to be speed networking, so you'll have the opportunity to jump into speed networking if you want. Sessions that are moderated, you watch with your cam off. You can't turn your cam on unless you're a speaker. But we also have some lounges that will be going on during the show where you can go in and turn on your cam if you want to go on cam uh, and just sort of chat and hang out with a bunch of, uh, bunch of, of your industry peers. We're going to have that going on as well. It's really going to be a fun time. So if you haven't been over to YNOTSummit.com, WhyNotSummit.com, and registered for the show, and you still got time, if you're listening to this in time, definitely go over and do that. Get yourself signed up and ready to go and, and join us. The first two days, the 7th and the 8th, we have a full lineup of activities for both our webmaster track, which is which is probably most of you. We also have a model track going on, so people who are on the creator side of the business. Those sessions are actually going to be running for three days total, 7th, 8th, and 9th, because we have so much enthusiasm. We've had so many uh, people interesting in presenting topics and talking about things important to important to the creator side of the business that, yeah, we, we, had, we had to go three days with that one. So three-day event, 7th, 8th, 9th of July, free to attend, 100% virtual. Head on over to whynotsummit.com, whynotsummit.com. Get signed up and plan to join us. We would love to see you there. Another thing in the news, I'm seeing some reports that, and this is a little bit startling, uh, that X Videos is planning to close their doors. <laughs> At this point, it's it's kind of early reports, and I don't want to get too much into it in case there's there's you know, some mistakes and what's going on and and uh, if anything changes and all that kind of good stuff. That obviously would be not good news for a lot of creators, a lot of people who rely on the platform. Um, and it, the other thing that's not great about that is we've seen this sort of evangelical attack on platforms lately. Uh, some some of the criticism being, you know, things that, that needs to be addressed, but a lot of it just being at the end of the day, the same old people, they just went away, they put on different Halloween costumes and they came back and they're they're trying to assault, uh, assault our businesses. And in this particular case, if the early reports are correct, it looks like they may have actually actually succeeded in one of the major platforms just saying, you know what? Enough is enough. We're out. Don't want to deal with this. We're moving on to other things. And that's a little bit, that's a little bit unsettling. Now I will say that for those of you who are attending us at summit, we will have a, a panel discussion specifically designed actually to talk about this. We have some great expert speakers lined up for you uh, to talk about the whole issue of like, how do you, if you're doing a user generated content platform, how do you how do you get age? How do you get consent? How do you get all that kind of stuff? What are you gonna What are we gonna do about this in the future? Uh, so if that's the kind of thing that you're you, you want to learn more about, you know you're gonna want to join that particular session. There also will be the legal panel that I referred to earlier. I'm sure we're gonna be talking about that. And on the third day, even though it's mostly uh, creator sessions happening in the model track on day three, we are going to have an FSC, a free speech coalition, uh, a meeting that will be happening uh, early. West Coast time. I believe it's 9 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So wherever you're at, you'll have to make the appropriate calculations to adjust for that. And they will be talking about everything that's going on. And I'm sure that topic will probably come up there as well if there's any developments. We'll also be talking about the whole MasterCard issue. We've got a, a, a panel of billing experts set up who will be talking about what's going on there and uh, if there's any progress there. So there's just a lot going on, and this is a really good time to, I guess, stay connected, get connected with your peers, and, and, and talk about it. 
Okay, let's jump over to this this interview with Jason now, because this was a, a great interview where we had a, a chance to really dive into some detail about social media marketing. And I was especially interested in picking his brain about Facebook because the platform has got you know notoriously uh, difficult over over the years for a lot of people. Uh, the rules are, are seem to be arbitrary at times. It's hard to understand what they what they want from you, what you can, what you can't do on the platform. And Jason was the guy to ask about all of that. We get into organic versus like paid ads and and what's possible there. And Jason shares some really good thoughts on actually how you can leverage Facebook quite effectively for uh, promoting your company and your products. It's just you got to be really, of course, uh, clever and careful about what you do. And uh, and Jason's the guy to explain how to do that. So without any further ado, let's jump right to it. This is me talking with Jason Hunt from Merged Media. Hey, Jason, really appreciate you joining us on the show today. Thank you for coming on. I know you're a busy guy and really looking forward to hearing what you have to say today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. I'm excited. I love this stuff. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm I'm a bit of a, a Facebook critic, right, because of the industry and how I think it's, it's reacted to the industry and how it treats the industry. So um, I'm actually excited to hear what you have to say about it because I know you're an expert on the topic. Um, but so, yeah, we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I just wanted to... You know, spend a little time uh, helping the audience get to know you because some people know you, some people don't. Uh, and so why don't we start off really by you just talking a little bit about yourself. Maybe if you have any technical background or marketing expertise, you'd really like to point out what are your core areas of expertise? Sure. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll just take it back maybe about a decade and a half ago where um, I was actually in Japan uh, teaching English at the time. And uh, I started a band while I was there, planned on staying in Japan for one year, ended up being four years. And uh, I was a front man of that band. So, uh, and we were a mediocre band at best. We really weren't that great. I was a terrible singer, but um, I was able to manufacture a small tour of Japan while living there and performing with my band. And I loved the music. I loved making the music. I loved performing the music. But what I loved more than that was actually marketing the music, using platforms such as MySpace at the time, uh, SoundClick. You know, there is a Facebook was just emerging. So I had a Facebook page set up for us in 2007. And it was just like, I love that aspect of it. And that was almost my epiphany and my calling to to marketing. You know, I love marketing stuff. I love marketing the music. I love marketing, you know, myself, my friends, my friends' businesses, all that type of stuff. So that kind of eluded me to introducing myself to this industry um, when I joined Grand Slam Media back in 2011. Grand Slam Media, for those that don't know, traffic company in the adult space, um, brokering websites back in 2011. So um, by doing that, I was able to, you know, generate a lot of awesome relationships just by going to a lot of the trade shows, you know, whether it be TES, Internext, you know, doing that whole tour and, and got to be able to generate a lot of great relationships through that. And then um, in 2016, um, after leaving Grand Slam, I started a, a social media agency called Fresh Crowd. And basically not affiliated with adult whatsoever, working with a lot of brick and mortar businesses, 
um, you know, sweat equity for the business originally, um, knocking on doors and we was able to generate business pretty quickly and, and up to a hundred clients in the first year. Um, a lot of restaurants, small businesses, things like that. Um, and it, it took a matter of time before introducing that business to the adult space because, you know, as you know, Connor, it's, it's not a huge industry and it, you know, as quickly as you can build your reputation, it doesn't take much to tear it down. So I had to prove the concept of my business before coming back to this industry to introduce it to clients. And, and start managing social media for clients. So fast forward to 2019, I merged my uh, social media agency with a, um, a leading SEO company. And I say leading because if you Google SEO companies in Canada, you're going to find Casio near the top. So I merged my social media agency with that one. We acquired a web design company last year. So now we're a full service uh, digital marketing agency called Merged Media. That's great. And I have to ask for the sake of my son, who's actually in college and uh, studying Japanese and, you know, big fan of Japanese culture. And he's, I, I think he's maybe getting off this a little bit, but he thought about, you know, doing what you did. Actually, like he's thought, hey, maybe I want to go to Japan and teach English. And, you know, he just really wants to sort of be there. Uh, what's what's your thoughts on Japan? What was that experience like? Would you recommend it, or was it was it something that you'd look back on going, "All right, I did that," but yeah, no, that was that was weird. Yeah, good question. So, I mean, at the time when I was when I went to Japan when I was twenty four, it was extending my university life as many years as I wanted to because I was doing the same things I was doing in university. You know, I was basically you know, working you know, six to eight hours a day, then going out and partying every night and enjoying the lifestyle. Uh, when I was there, my, one of my big regrets in life was not studying Japanese when I was there. So I, I can get by in a conversation, you know, I can order a meal in a restaurant, you know, talk to somebody at the bar. But aside from that, I learned all my Japanese from watching Japanese baseball. So, um, yeah, but in terms of a place to go, it's my favorite country in the world, man. I love it. I mean, I was there um, a few years back at Tech Tokyo, and, and I remember it was a great night. Uh, Andy Walmart was there. We were out partying all night to all hours of the morning, having a great time. And it was just, it, it's just such a great culture. It never, you, you can never get bored there. I never did. Whether you're, you know, you're partying at night, they have a great party lifestyle. And then they also have the temples and stuff like that, going to Kyoto and just hanging out at a shrine for hours on end and just enjoy it. And they have such a, a lust for life, the Japanese people. It's like, man, they'll spend hours underneath a cherry blossom tree, just having a picnic and drinking in the sun. And it's the best thing in the world. You know what I mean? You just don't see that every day, at least here in, in Toronto, you know? Yeah. I've been all over the world, but not Japan. And that it really is on my bucket list. I would love to go there. Uh, just, uh, you know, I think my son, part of the reason why he loves Japanese culture so much is because you know, I, I do. And over the years, we've, we just sort of shared that together as he's grown up. And so it sounds like a great place. Uh, what was your, what type of music did you guys play? So our band was called the Cracker Japs. So we had a couple, 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 couple white dudes and a couple Japanese guys in the band. And it was like, uh, like old school Red Hot Chili Peppers. So it was all original music. Yeah, it was interesting because that was one thing you learn, like in Japan, it's a very, kind of collective society. People are collective, unlike our society, which is very individualistic, you know, North American culture. And um, so for Japanese people, it's very challenging for them to make authentic or unique music. They're really good. Everywhere you go, everyone's a cover cover band. But to create your own music was always a kind of a challenge for Japanese people. So to have a couple Japanese people join our band and create unique music was a very interesting experience because you could see the challenges while we're coming up with new guitar riffs for songs or generating songs. It just wasn't in them to wear their heart on their sleeve. 
and come up with new music. So that was fun. It was kind of us pushing them to their limits and, and them kind of keeping us, you know, intact and not make mistakes when we're creating the music, which is a big thing for the Japanese culture. And, um, and so for us, um, we sounded like the Red Hot Chili Peppers mixed with Rage Against the Machine and basically me screaming up there like an idiot and people in the audience being like, Ooh, kakoi, sagoi gaijin, you know? So. Do you ever get to see a uh, baby metal out of Japan that, that act? Um, is that with the one with the, um, the school girls that are, yeah, they got like these yeah. girl, young girl singers, but this like Metallica style band behind them. That's actually really good band. So like, it's such a weird, it just watch it. And it's just like this jaw dropping. Holy shit. What is this? You know, you got these weird school girls doing this high pitched sort of screechy singing. And then you've got this really good Metallica, like heavy metal, like driving band behind them. And you're just listening to like, shit, this music is actually like the band is really fucking good. These guys are technically excellent. Right. And then when you, when you put that style where normally you have these aggressive, angry, hairy dudes, like leading bands like that. And then you've got the absolute opposite of that. It's just such a weird putting that like um, contrast up there. It's such a weird experience, but they were huge. They would sell out arenas in Japan for a while. They were so big. You hit the nail on the head there with the with the word weird because all you got to do is just do a quick YouTube of you know Japanese game shows and you've seen them before they are weird dude and then it's it's weird what's funny is 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 this I remember I had a friend come visit me in Tokyo when I was living there one year uh, we took a trip to Tokyo and one thing they have there which is super popular is um is they have jerk off cafes no word of a lie. You can go to Tokyo and it's popular amongst the salary men, right? Like salary men having a rough day at the office, maybe just want to get out for an hour and relieve themselves. We accidentally stumbled into one of these. And I say accidentally because we were just looking for an internet cafe to kill a couple hours in downtown Tokyo. And we ended up walking into this cafe. It kind of looks like an old school blockbuster when you walk in there. And then you go in and you see a bunch of guys carrying baskets with videos in them. Didn't think much of it. We, again, we just wanted to get a, a room just to relax. So we go in there and we each get separate rooms and you go into this room and you sit down there. It's like you got this nice comfy chair. You got a massive computer screen, big screen TV in front of you. It's only about probably about 50 square feet. It's not big at all. And next to you, you have basically a flashlight. You got um, you got you got you got a bunch of tissues here, a bunch of different an assortment of jellies and lubrication. It's like a previous previously used flashlight. I mean, like. But, you know, that's the thing, right? You question it. It's like, wow, this is really weird. I immediately call my buddy. I'm like, dude, do you know where we are right now? Like, I think this is a jerk off cafe. And he's just like, dude, I'm just going to sleep. Shut up. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage. What would Blockbuster call them? The uh, previously used, or there was a previously <laughs> something they used for the cassettes. Like it's a lightly used flashlight. Don't worry about it. We, 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 yeah. we, we cleaned it. So, yeah, so I want to throw uh, some quick, just fun questions at you. Don't think about these. Uh, just answer as quickly as possible. Just get a sense of you. Uh, so right off the bat, first question, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Daniel Craig, who's the best Bond? Connery. Which movie sequel would you erase from history? Weekend at Bernie's 2. <laughs> I was not expecting that one. That's awesome. All right. What would you say is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Getting up on a stage in front of a boat. 500 people at 10 o'clock in the morning with an, an ounce of alcohol in my system. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's, what's your favorite, I don't know if you remember, what's your favorite childhood book when you were growing up? Green Eggs and Ham. Nice. Okay. And a uh, little sappy question for you, but who in the adult industry would you say inspires you the most? 
Man, I got to go with Andy, dude. I brought him up. Andy Womer um, from Traffic Partner. The guy's just got so much charisma. He's so likable. And, you know, he's just that face everywhere you go. And you just love to see him. You know, you walk into a bar, if there's nobody there but just Andy, you know, you're going to be having a good time. Great guy, man. Love Andy. Uh, okay, cool. And I, I do want to take a moment to get you to know your company a little bit before we get into Facebook. And so let's let's talk about that. You, you, you talked a little bit about it already, about what you guys do. But tell us about Merge Media. Uh, what would you say your most popular services are? What's what, what are clients using the most? I don't know if you want to name drop any big clients, you know, brag about some of your bigger clients. If you can do that or not, um, feel free to do so. Just what do you think listeners should know about Merge Media? Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing there is, you know, we're kind of the, a lot of our best clients lean on us as our outsourced CMO. So, um, you know, we're not a jack of all trades, master of none agency. You know, me merging my social media company was by design because I wanted to have a specialist in each of those fields from SEO, SEM, websites, as well as social. And uh, we all collaborate under one roof. And that's the key because a lot of these uh, different types of platforms, they all talk to one another. So uh, it only makes sense to have those conversations for our clients at our boardroom table together in better times. Now it's Zoom, but usually it's at a boardroom table. But um, and and I think what's important is is our podcast as well, which we're, we like to drive a lot of traffic to. We like to serve our audience. So even if you're not a client of Merge Media, I'm hoping we can provide some value to you through our podcast. We get a lot of great guests on there in the digital marketing space. Um, we have, um, you know, we actually this week, we just launched an episode with Edward Zuckerberg, which is Mark's dad. So that was, it was interesting. He's a dental social media guy. So, um, he definitely had some good insight and, and his business was the first ever business that did an online check-in on Facebook. So it was a, kind of an interesting episode. Did he say anything that just like really stuck out? You were like, holy shit, that caught you off guard? To be completely honest, the guy was super geeking out on dental technology, which is not really my, my, you know, my wheelhouse. Um, and I didn't want to really make the whole thing or the whole podcast episode about, Hey, you're Mark's dad. Um, you know, um, because the guy is a pretty, he's a really brilliant guy. And, uh, but I did sneak in at the end. I said, Hey, look, Ed, um, you know, we talked a lot about dental technology and he's a very technically savvy guy. You got to take some credit for Facebook. And then he went into this whole soliloquy about how Mark actually created this sort of intercom system in his dental office in the early nineties called, um, called Zuckcast. And, uh, and, and it's funny. So he's always been, Mark's always been this really technically savvy guy ever since he was a kid, kind of an outcast. But, um, that was just kind of a funny little story that, that he told about Mark. I almost wonder if the adult industry can take some credit for Mark's uh, um, creations. I, I think it was, I don't know if it's true. I think it was the movie Social Network, but I never saw it because there was something about watching a movie about Facebook that just did not appeal to me. But um, I think maybe they were pushing this theory and I don't know if it's true, but wasn't there some 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 people who thought Zuckerberg started off basically trying to spy on college girls and shit, like he was setting up websites uh, so he can like kind of spy on college girls. And, oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Was that true? Is there any that, truth to that? Wasn't, that? wasn't that the original? Like, wasn't that the, I don't know the, the facts on that, but I, I've heard that as well. Right. Like just being a little, being a little perv. <laughs> I, I can see that, you know, I don't know. For some reason it just fits in my head. I just look at the guy and I think, yeah, he would be doing that in college. I, I can see it. You hit on something interesting there. It was uh, when, you know, it's almost like, I think a lot of people out there think they had Facebook before Facebook. I know, I know at least like back in, in the late nineties, when I first had my first website on angel fire, you know, it was, it, I, I created a website for my high school group of friends. We had a little crew that we called ourselves and, um, 
and I created a, a website. Each of us had a profile with silly questions like, what's your favorite color? Who's your dream date? Where do you take your girlfriend? You know, what's your favorite sex position? All this type of stuff was on each of our profiles. Fast forward to now, and I cannot remember my password nor email connected to that Angel Fire site. And my buddies remind me every six months, Jay, did you take down that site yet, man? It's a little freaking embarrassing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't know what year it was, but it was definitely before Facebook existed. So why not? We had forums and we the, the guy who was in charge of our technical development his name was uh, is Jim Ruga um, people maybe knew him as code monkey in the industry and Jim actually he went on to work with uh, oh shit what's the name of that um, anyway I want to spend time trying to remember the name of the company he went on to work for a pretty big mainstream tech company that got acquired and he did really well Jim's a really good guy but he created a version of why not uh, that had a whole system where you recommend people. So it's very similar to LinkedIn. So you could try to like build up credibility by getting, Hey, could you come on and give me a referral or a recommendation on why not? And that whole thing. And there was a lot of aspects of what he did that found its way into either LinkedIn or Facebook later on. I'm not saying they, they copied us. Uh, I'm saying that it just happened to be that these were good ideas. And so, you know, they, they were the natural evolution of the internet, but they were done before any of those companies ever actually existed. And I'm actually kind of proud of that. We don't have that version of why not anywhere anymore, but I, you know, cause it was such a long time ago, but it's something I think about all the time. I am nostalgic for the days when there was no Facebook, no Google. Uh, so that kind of gets us to transition right into this Facebook thing. And um, so if I'm, if you hear some hostility in my voice or sort of like, of like, you know, you can kind of hear me turning my lip up when I'm talking about Facebook. It's just I'm a rebellious guy and it annoys the shit out of me when I see mainstream companies sort of um, treating our industry poorly. And uh, it's just annoying. I mean, we know that Google, we know that Microsoft, we know that Amazon, all these companies are in their way benefiting off the adult industry and they get a free pass. And then, you know, those of us in the industry get treated like sometimes like we're criminals when we're not. It's frustrating. So Facebook is it's notoriously unfriendly to our line of work. Most companies and affiliates and adult can't even post a link to their website on Facebook, even if they warn what it is. Some safe I know safe work for work sites that get banned because I don't know. Facebook won't even tell you why, right? Just so you violate the community standards, say there's no nudity. Why? They don't always say. So given this hostile environment, uh, let's hear your pitch. Is, is Facebook still a good channel for adult businesses and affiliates? Yeah. So and first of all, I, I've got to kind of echo your frustration as well, because, um, you know, I've become very frustrated over the years. I've spent, you know, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of dollars on Facebook in advertising spend uh, for clients. And, you know, I myself am restricted from advertising. My personal account is actually restricted from advertising and I'm a white hat Facebook guy. And so I have to run, you know, certain client accounts through my wife's Facebook account. So what happens is, is I can't, I'm talking to the Facebook rep. So we have a, once you start spending a certain amount of money with Facebook, they assign a Facebook marketing rep to you. Okay. And so this marketing rep continues to hit me up on a monthly basis trying to tell me about new ad types, where to spend more money, how to optimize my campaigns. And I'm like, you can't even get my account back live. You can't even get it. I, I, I'm restricted from advertising. I can't do anything. My hands are tied. So I have to repeat everything she tells me to my employees. Basically, the Facebook marketing reps are pretty much useless. They'll show open up a ticket for me with Facebook concierge, who is Facebook support, who is pretty much useless as well. So I have to run all my accounts through my wife's account. Okay. So, um, 
So that's obviously how I have my own frustrations with Facebook. Now, to go back to your question, to go back to your question, Connor, um, is adult, is Facebook still a play for adult? And I'm going to say it is, but you got to tread that water with caution. Um, because it can be challenging. You could, I don't, you could be wasting a lot of your time trying to figure it out. Again, I'm a white hat Facebook guy. I don't really dive too much in the black hat. There are great black hat marketers out there that can lead you in the right direction for purchasing mass ad accounts, doing the churn and burn game that, that can work. But for me, I try to keep things safe. So if I were, you know, if I'm going to work with an adult company and they want to approach me, which, you know, several have. And how are we going to use Facebook effectively? Well, what you need to do is use Facebook as a platform to play by Facebook's rules, but to get that contact information. Our goal is to get them off of Facebook, get them over to email where you can have those, you know, those conversations to, to sell those products that are banned by Facebook, right? So, you know, a great example is let's say you're a dating company. Okay. Well, let's say you want to entice, you know, you want to entice men to come over to your dating platform. Then why not create, you know, a, a 10 tips on how to land the perfect date or 10 tips on how to impress your, your, a girl on her first date. That's a great piece of content, a lead magnet, we would say to entice people to submit their information to, to you through Facebook without having to leave Facebook or disrupt their Facebook experience, simply provide you with their email name, phone number, if you want, and get them over to email where you can start selling your dating products, right? Just use Facebook as a platform to get them off of Facebook. Facebook is 2.54 billion active users monthly. That's a lot of attention. There's not a single person that's, that's listening right now that doesn't have their target audience on Facebook. So use the platform to get them off there, but just play by Facebook's rules. This is a big challenge, right? Like Facebook creates its own policy for everything, okay? In Canada, weed is legal. He cannot advertise weed on Facebook in Canada. So, you know, they just make their own, they have their own governing body and, and they don't, they don't, it doesn't vary per state or per, per country. If you, and you just want to play by their rules and use the platform to get them off of the platform. Okay. And, and when you're talking about like enticing people to provide contact, so let's say you're, you're, you're looking for email addresses, as you mentioned, what's generally the incentive if, is it like, is it eBooks or, or like what's generally the incentive to get a person to just the types of things you might offer to get a person to give up the email? Sure. I mean, there's, a, there's tons. Of, so for example, if you're, if you're an adult business, um, let's say you're a CBD business. Okay. Um, what you might want to do is get people off of Facebook to a website. You can send them to a website, but you got to remember that website you send the traffic to off of Facebook is going to be monitored by Facebook. So if you have any banned products on that initial website, um, your ads are going to get shut down. Your pixel is going to shut off. You're going to be get, you're going to get yourself blacklisted. So what you're going to want to do is send that traffic to a page that has nothing to do or doesn't mention any content about that product that you're looking to sell. And you're probably thinking like, well, how the hell am I going to do that? Well, why not drive traffic from Facebook to a quiz to pre-qualify people whether or not they're a CBD user? right? Quizzes are super popular, getting them over to that site where it's something that's going to, something relevant to the topic, but not the exact, you know, not the exact product or service that you're offering, right? Um, that's a great one. I think the quiz one, but like you mentioned there, downloadable PDFs, white papers, eBooks, these are all great ones. And the funny thing is this, and we hack this all the time in our own business. We have a blog that's been sitting there since July talking about reasons why your Facebook ads aren't converting. It's sitting there on our blog. We grabbed that piece of blog content, turned it into a three to five page white paper and put it out there as a Facebook ad. Now we're collecting people's information off of Facebook 
to, you know, upsell them over email, add them to our custom audiences. You know, we can do anything with them now. You know, Facebook could shut down tomorrow. We can lose our following. We're never going to lose our email list. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I'm careful to to always caution people so that there's full disclosure that why not has its own email marketing service. So I don't want to come across like I'm just, you know, steering people over there. But that's, I'm a big believer in what you're saying with respect to email lists, because there's only so many ways you can constantly reach out to people and get your marketing message to, to be delivered in a repeated fashion. So somebody hears about something once, you know, maybe they don't care, but they hear about it five times, they start to pay attention. And there maybe are ways to do that with social media, but email is one of them. And as you mentioned, social media platforms can just kick you off. They can suddenly cut, cut you off from your, your source there at any time they want. It's their platform, their rules. If you have your own email list or your own contact list or whatever you're doing, you know, you, you're not cut off from all those people. I, I do think that's actually key. Now, when people are, are putting these strategies together, uh, what what do you see when people are going to Facebook and saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to try to to work Facebook for leads? What are some of the common mistakes that they're making that are that are hampering their campaigns or causing them to get put in Facebook jail or causing problems? Yeah, uh, very first and foremost, patience, right? Patience is definitely hindering, um, you know, their experience and getting those results because, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. You got to remember Facebook's a platform where there is zero intent. It's not like Google. People are not typing something into a search query and getting their result and getting a solution to their problem. You have to create that problem. You have to create that problem and embed it in their brains. So a lot of it goes to creating that intent, which go, what goes with that is education, right? So, and, and you bring up a good point there a second ago, Connor, where, where, you know, you kind of want to be out in front of them and in so many different ways, because you're increasing the ad frequency, not just on one platform, not just increasing the ad frequency on Facebook, which is how many times somebody sees your ad. But maybe you, maybe you're at TES, the European Summit, doing a trade show of sorts. Maybe you're at the Why Not Show, you know. And and there's two the ad frequency of two, and then maybe they're going to get an email from you because they signed up for the Why Not Show. There's three. Now they're getting hit with a Facebook ad because you have your their email. You can create a custom audience and target them now with a Facebook ad. You know, there's four you know, getting them over with an Instagram swipe up five. It's a matter of increasing that ad frequency. So you're constantly top of mind with them. And that's done through setting up the retargeting effectively. That person that sees an ad for why not mail um, for the fifth time, that should be a much different ad than that cold audience that saw your ad for the first time. And a lot of people, I think, get lazy with it. They create one ad, they create two or three ads with the same copy, targeting the same people over and over again. All you're doing is doing yourself a disservice because people are actually getting annoyed with your ads. So, you know, for us, we're, we're our top of funnel. I'm refreshing that, you know, bi-weekly. I'm changing that up. I'm always changing that up. And, and you got to be, especially the retargeting audiences who are going to be seeing your ads multiple times. You got to change the, or, or reframe the, the question or, or the objection that you're addressing, whatever it is in that ad, you need to constantly be keeping it up to date and changing it and have that patience because again, it's going to take time. We tell our clients, give it 90 days because you're not going to first, in the first month you're testing, you're feeding the algorithm. Facebook's trying to figure out the perfect user to put your ad in front of. That takes time, right? And you're testing multiple creatives, right? And then you're analyzing the data to find out what works so you can create more of that what works. This is a bit of a crusade for me. I've been trying to really drive home that point about repetition of your message and how important that is. Uh, there's a lot of people who just aren't very marketing savvy. They're trying their best, but they, they think, okay, I, I put this one ad up. And I ran it and I'm tracking. I got my little 
conversion checker and I'm tracking my ROI and, oh, it's not working. And, well, nobody ever saw this ad before. They don't know your company. We get companies on Why Not. It's a big difference between companies that show up and they launch campaigns. They take advantage of all the different channels we've got. They're working with other companies, like you said. They're at other trade shows and they're doing a campaign across all these different channels versus somebody who shows up all new and it's like, hey, I got you know all this money to spend. They, they burn it out in one month, two months and go, wow, I didn't get rich. I don't understand. And then they, they run off and you never hear from these guys again. Finding a way to sustain that message across multiple channels consistently over time, that really is the key. And it takes some patience and discipline. And it's hard, I think, sometimes to get that message across to people. But, you know, there are a lot of companies who get it for sure. Um, and, and so that actually is a good transition to the next question I wanted to ask you, which is about success stories. I don't know if there's any you can share, but can you maybe talk if you can't name a company by name? If you can, great. Uh, specifics are always great. If you can't, maybe you can talk about them generally. Are there some companies in the business that you've noticed that are doing an especially good job leveraging Facebook to build their brands and maybe talk about how they're doing it a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, to shed light on, on personal experience. So, I mean, we've done, we've done extensive work with, um, with adult site broker, Bruce Friedman. So, I mean, he's got a, it's an adult business. Uh, just so you know, I talk with Bruce regularly. We're both big baseball fans. And I know with your grand slam background and you mentioned baseball, baseball earlier. That's great. It sounds like you are too. He's a big, yeah, he's a big giants fan. I'm a, I'm wearing my Dodgers hat right yeah. now. So we have a, we have a lot of fun. He's, he's a good sport about it. He bought me a, a uh, a, a Dodgers championship hat, you know, and uh, when we were at spring training at Phoenix Forum, we went and saw a game together. It was a Giants game, and um, I, I went and took a picture by the Giants World Series trophy with him, <laughs> so with my Dodgers stuff on, so he has that little trophy. So, yeah, I know Bruce very well. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. We always get in the good baseball talk. I mean, anytime we're talking, our half an hour meetings are usually – 90% baseball talk, to be honest, or, or yeah, <laughs> baseball talk or politics. Right. So, but, but, um, but yeah, so we, we were, we were doing and generating a lot of leads through LinkedIn and, um, and Facebook for Bruce adult site broker. He was looking for people looking to buy or sell a website, very, very niche market. Uh, we had a, we did the white paper approach for him and generated a lot of leads. Um, now the, the key to lead generation on Facebook uh, I just want to go down this rabbit hole for a second. And uh, the key to it is is understanding that when a lead comes in there, there is a nurturing process involved when that lead comes through the door, right? So you do have to hound them. You have to add them to your email drip campaign and understand that they're not going to close that month. They might not close in the next three, but they might close in the next six or or year, right? So um, so we generate a lot of leads. Uh, Bruce is now doing an SEO program with us for out-of-site brokers. So um, that's exciting. But just to go back to Facebook, there are some people that are doing it really well. And if you're an adult company, the organic side of social is so important for you. Vitaly, you probably heard of Vitaly. Vitaly Uncensored works with SK Entertainment and Vitaly, he's, he's crushing it. They had this whole thing with the streaker at the Super Bowl that was all orchestrated by them, you know, and, and he's got, he's not running any ads, not running any paid, but I mean, he's got such a great community, such a loyal community of followers. And if you're able to find that niche, carve out that niche and build that community up, you're going to reap a lot of benefits from it. So, um, but in addition to that, um, okay, uh, there's companies in the, in the mail enhancement space, like mail Excel, who's done a really good job at, at using a lot of Facebook ads to drive sales or drive leads for mail enhancements, something that is kind of deemed, you know, 
uh, taboo by Facebook in a lot of cases, but as long as you can skirt it, so you're you're playing by the rules of it. And again, like I said, there are black hat routes, but talking white hat, there's somebody who has successfully done it really, really well and is spending a lot of money on the platform. Perfect transition. Um, I wanted to ask you about the difference between using Facebook sort of in an organic way to maybe promote your company or just participating on the platform as a user posting, things like that, you know, versus actually buying ads. So if you're buying ads, the rules and the restrictions on on what you can do, like what they're going to allow you to, to advertise is even stricter, obviously, than if you're just maybe like making some posts on Facebook as a user. What are some of the challenges and restrictions that people face when they're buying ads that maybe they don't really have to concern themselves as much about if they're just posting on Facebook? Yeah. So with the ads, the policies are super strict on ads because the minute you pump through a paid ad, it basically goes through a, 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 an automated system where it'll trigger certain words. It'll find you know skin on images, all that type of stuff and automatically put your ad as probably disabled. And then you got to go through an appeal process. Happens all the time, especially if you open up a brand new account, you're going to find that happens quite frequently. I mean, we we work with uh, you know uh, m- massage uh, clinics and where it's a, it's a massage clinic. It's a perfectly legit business uh, in the eyes of Facebook. And yet you can't show any skin or else it'll get, you know, it'll get banned or it'll get disabled. Um, so that, that's a constant kind of cat and mouse thing that's always going to happen with Facebook. Um, on, but on the organic side, you know, you have a little more, um, w- you have a lot more wiggle room in terms of what you can post and what's allowed. Facebook doesn't monitor the organic Um as closely as it would paid. Um, you know, I've, I've heard of some Instagram accounts that have been shut down for some, uh, you know, some um, sexual content. So you kind of got to tread with caution on, on Instagram for sure. Um, but you can definitely use the platform to build that, that community of followers. And, 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 you know, this is something that does not get utilized enough on social, especially Facebook and Instagram is the ability to, to use the DM to communicate like one-on-one with people through messaging um, it's such an opportunity, whether you're doing a contest on Facebook and you're getting people to comment or tag a friend in it, you can open up conversations with those people on your Facebook page. You know what I mean? Or, or And even on Instagram, utilizing DM, DMing people that follow your page and, and simple things like that where you can kind of personalize it, you know, if you don't have a big budget or you're hindered by the rules of Facebook for paid ad spend. There are ways that you can do it to increase that that following. And there's so many platforms out there now. I would never recommend go out there and buy followers on a platform. You just you're doing yourself a disservice because it's actually not your target audience. But there are platforms out there where you can actually get organic followers on your page. People that are going to go click on you know, your username, visit your page, see the content that you're putting out there, like it, and decide to follow you. There's platforms out there that can help facilitate that so you're not spending your own time doing it. Yeah, the bot followers thing, that always makes me laugh. It's always so obvious there are certain companies that just have these you know, ridiculous uh, bot follower accounts, especially Twitter. It's uh, you see that more on Twitter than Facebook. I think um, it's great for a vanity, like vanity number. Sure. If you just want to get your number up there for the sake of having a high number, cool. Um, but really it, if you ever want to create a custom audience of people that follow your page, it's not really going to help you out. If all of your followers are in a certain area of India and you have no customers in India, you know what I mean? Okay. So if, if I'm, uh, if I'm an affiliate and I'm just, just general sense of, how they get, how you get started with this. If I'm an affiliate and I'm, you know, I've built some destination sites and I'm using them to promote, uh, you know, various adult offers and verticals, and I'm interested in maybe buying some Facebook traffic. Maybe I'm, like you said, going to try to push people to a survey or push people to an ebook download or something like that. 
What's the process of getting set up with Facebook to be able to buy ads? Is it difficult? How, how hard is it for someone to get started? Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to take the white hat approach, you just need to have, you have need to open up a business manager. Um, everybody needs to have a business manager and then you're going to create an ad account underneath that business manager. And, um, and then from there, you know, uh, you know, if I would start off slow, I wouldn't just like throw the kitchen sink at Facebook and start spending a thousand bucks a day. Start really slow with it. And, um, you know, maybe even optimize for engagement. You want to kind of season that account a bit. Even if you're even remotely close to um, something that's banned by Facebook, you definitely want to take this type of approach. However, if there, if you did want to get aggressive with it and you're an affiliate, um, like I said, there are, if you want, you can reach out to me, I can introduce you to some of these black hat guys that have the uh, access to all these endless ad accounts and stuff like that for you to kind of play with. But um, this, that would be the approach I would take is just start that business manager. And, and one thing is you've got to be careful who you share that with and who's running the ads in that business manager. So for example, let's say you're an affiliate and you work with some crypto products and you also have a mainstream side of it where you're selling skincare products. Um, you know, you want to be careful to not to have those combined because Facebook, when they ban an account, they're going to, you know, you're going to, they could shut down your entire business manager. And they might always, uh, they might also look at the credit card number that's connected to a certain account as well, right? And 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 they might ban every single ad account connected to that credit card. So you just got to make sure that any sort of uh, gray area type of business that you're doing um, through affiliate on Facebook, you got to really keep that line separated between your mainstream business and just you know tread with caution. Yes, it's funny, right? <laughs> for I bought ads for Why Not Mail on Facebook in the past, and. <laughs> the the all it was was it was an ad of like two old people like looking shocked like they're looking at a screen and it was uh, you know something like you know we work with the companies that make your grandparents cry or something like that you know it was like and so it mentioned like hey we're working with adult companies but it's an email platform it's constant contact it's Mailchimp this is not like any zero 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 adult content zero adult thing on the website it's just that was it we will work with adult companies hey we won't we won't cast you aside. And at first, Facebook wouldn't approve the ad, said violation of community standards. And I remember I was so caught off guard. I was like, are you kidding me? So I just like I hit the appeal thing and said, you got to be kidding me. Like what all we're saying is that we will work with these companies. Like what's what's the issue? And they actually did reverse the decision at that point and said, you know, on second uh, review, you're right. And they they ran the ad. But the fact that their first instinct was just to deny. I guess it shows if you're in the right and you feel like you are following the rules, all I could say is don't hesitate to hit that, like put, plead your case if you really think Absolutely. that your ad should be up there. Absolutely. And then this, I mean, really, this really started happening uh, big time after the Cambridge Analytica stuff happened and all the privacy stuff came out with Facebook. They really started hammering um, all of the stuff, you know, whether it's privacy related stuff or even just the, the, the third party automation checking all the ads before they go up there. I mean, you know, with the whole, you know, the, the Floyd stuff that happened last year, there were a lot of businesses up in arms that, that boycotted Facebook. You might remember that Facebook boycott. Um, you know, that was interesting because it opened up a lot of questions. Like a lot of marketers didn't want their ads touching or affiliated or any in video ads connected to any sort of hate speech or stuff like that. So it, put, it created a new level of monitoring for Facebook that they had to sort of take an initiative on. It's like, you're right. How do we monitor all this, all these hate videos and hate speech and this and that? We can't have advertisers like Verizon or Levi Strauss connected to this type of content. 
And that's just, you know, the main premise why a lot of boycott, why, why this boycott happened. So Facebook had to take a lot of these precautions. Unfortunately, it makes things very challenging for marketers, marketers like myself and, and yourself. And it just, it, it's a challenge that we kind of got to deal with, but everybody is dealing with it. Right. And at the end of the day, Facebook knows that if there's no, there's no marketers on the plat- platform, they're not making any money. So, you know, so they are kind of looking out for their marketers at the same time, but it's just setting the marketing on Facebook at another standard as well. I wonder if Facebook had an epiphany at some point with respect to moderating their content in this sense. It, I'm a, I, I, when it comes to businesses, I always have, I, I think of the conspiracies, you know, that might be going on with the largest companies and how they might be leveraging their, their mass advantage over competitors. Now, it, Section 230, as you know, is a hot topic uh, these days. It's the law that basically says in the U.S., if I am running a platform and somebody puts something illegal on my platform, I'm not responsible for that. I'm just running the platform. Go get that guy. And um, Facebook really leaned into that early on. Of course, they were they were a platform. They have Section 230 protections. And they're starting to, of course, moderate their content more. Twitter's doing the same. We're seeing that across some of the big social media giants. And, um, you know, at first you think uh, my thought was, man, try what if you were responsible for child porn, for example? Like, let's say you're running a platform and somebody posts a picture of a of an underage girl and you're responsible for that. That's horrifying to think that would that would stop most people from wanting to run a platform if you have that kind of liability. Now, on the other hand, if you're Facebook and you start moderating your platform at that level, your competitors aren't going to be able to pull that off. Who can come along and put in, think of the money, the time, the resources necessary to moderate a giant social media platform at that particular level. It's practically untenable for anybody who doesn't have like giant resources like a Google or a Facebook. So if you do start requiring social media companies to be a little more responsible for the content that gets put on their platform, that pretty much eliminates like your I, I keep wanting to say parlay, the French word, but I really don't know if it's parlor or parlay. And I have to explain this every time I say it because I don't want to. I say parlor and then I, I, French speakers are going to be like, you idiot, it's parlay. And then, but I'll say parlor because I think that's what it is. Um, you, you're a company like parlor, you're trying to come up. And of course, they're excited when all these conservatives are coming over to their platform. They built this platform, they're competing against Twitter. Now, finally, something happens in politics and all these people are coming to the door. They're all excited. And then they just instantly get cut up. No, you're not moderating your content. Well, who can afford to do that? Right. Well, Facebook can afford to do that. Twitter can afford to do that. Google can afford to do that. And pretty much nobody else. I don't know. You think I'm off base or do you think that's entered their mind that, you know what, this could actually be a competitive advantage for us if we start moderating? hundred percent. I think that's uh, that's why Facebook's getting a leap. But, you know, you hate to say Cambridge Analytica could have been the worst and best thing for Facebook. Right. Because it gave them that head start in the getting ahead with this. I mean, every single platform out there is sending in new privacy updates, you know, whether it be MailChimp, whether it be, you know, all these platforms out there, everyone's updating their, their, their privacy stuff. So it's, it's definitely, you know, I think Facebook is definitely the lead on it. It's almost like this. It's like everyone's speeding down the highway and Facebook just happened to be the one that got pulled over by the cops. You know, now everyone else is getting pulled over by the cops. You know what I mean? It's 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 just like Facebook is the is the lead dog, and this was this was just kind of a, it, it was inevitable, and unfortunately for Facebook, I mean, it just it shines a, a shitty light on them because you know they're the ones that are kind of spearheading all of this, and, but they're also the ones that are taking a, a proactive stance too with the privacy. Thanks for that example on the cops, by the way. I just got a fucking speeding ticket the other day. I was on my way to get my first vaccine do- dose, and uh, and a cop. I haven't got a speeding ticket. I don't know how long. I've, I've never caught. And this dude's like. 
this cop without his mask, like leaning in my car, like I just saw his, his mouth like inches from my face. And all I can think of is if I get the fucking coronavirus from you after like all these the year of being cautious on my way, to get the <laughs> vaccine. Swear to God. But you know what? I can't drive 55. I I'm just not going to fucking do it. So I'll, I just pay the ticket and go on with life. But um, anyway, it's sorry. Funny how that works now. No, it's funny how <laughs> that works now. Right. You don't care about the ticket. You just don't want to get COVID. That's right. It's like just, you know, can you step back as you're handing over the ticket. I'll pay this thing online and then we'll, we'll go about our lives. But uh, yeah, anyway, just you, you saying that just had me thinking of that scene. Um, I want to give people listening to this something concrete that they can just try. So like right now, so if they're listening to this, this podcast and they're thinking, all right, what can I try on Facebook? Let's take a specific scenario. Let's say somebody's an affiliate and they're trying to pr- promote cams in some way, live cams. So they can't just do a direct, um, direct add on on Facebook. It's going to be a little tricky. Uh, maybe they have a white label cam site or maybe they're they're doing other things like cam model review sites that they're pushing to cam sites. So they're in the cam arena and they want to try something to sort of get started on Facebook just to test the waters and maybe not spend a whole lot of money, uh, maybe a small budget or something organic. Give us some kind of a tip that a person can try to get started. And then if that works well, you know, maybe they can they can like look into doing, you know, more serious stuff. Yeah. So I think the first thing you need to do is, is, you know, you want to, the optimization is important. So you have tons of different, um, you know, optimizations that you can do such as, you know, brand awareness, uh, engagement, lead uh, generation, conversion. There's always different options. Go with engagement. Okay. Engagement. What that's going to do is, is you're going to create an ad that's going, that's going to tell, you're going to tell Facebook to go out there and find people that have a tendency to engage in content. This way you're going to have, it's very cheap to do. Um, Facebook will put your ad in front of people that engage. So you get a lot of likes, a lot of clicks, a lot of action happening on a particular piece of content. And, And then from there, you can create a custom audience of these people and then retarget them. Okay. Now this piece of engaging content. So I'll give you an example. Um, You know, it it was kind of an adult company we're working with called Personally Incorrect. It's like an adult board game, right? I don't know if you heard of it. It's kind of like Cards Against Humanity, but it's like next level, right? Um, So basically we would just put up like a a video of a couple people playing the game and you could do this for cams, but keep in mind, you have to keep it really safe. So it, it could be something along the lines of some sort of tutorial or video or how to interact with a cam model, right? But be keeping it super safe, but in video content, because now you can capture people engaging on it, or you can optimize for video views to capture people watching that video. And then you can retarget them with that white paper example we talked about earlier on, where it's actually a tangible uh, item that they can download in their inbox to learn more. Now you've got them. Right now in that next series of emails, you can push the cams hard, as hard as you want. And you know, all the people that are coming in there are legit because you're pre-qualifying them through the sequence of A, watching that video, B, downloading that white paper, and now C, they're in your email. You know what I mean? Like there's so much quality to that. And I think a lot of people underestimate the power of the journey as to how somebody gets into your ecosystem, how somebody gets into your funnel. You know what I mean? Because I mean, you only have one chance to make that first impression. So if you're providing something of super extreme value in that initial video and then giving them that white paper, which is additional value, and then selling them over email, once you get them over there, it's almost like you're, you're Facebook's like the chicken outside the restaurant. You know, you're sitting there waving them in, get their attention, wave them in. And once you have them in the, in the lobby of the restaurant, now you can sell them any dish you want, right? That's the same way you got to look at it. If you're going to sell cams, just be super safe with it, right? And there's ways you can do that in, in terms of how you educate that user 
um, to that end result. I grew up in Monterey, California, and there's a wharf, and you, you just say what you're saying reminded me of these guys who'd run competing restaurants, and they'd always have a dude out front as the tourists come down the wharf handing out little samples of clam chowder, you know, like try our clam chowder, and then it was like trying to get them off that road of the wharf and into the restaurant. And uh, that's, uh, I guess, I don't know, made me think of that's sort of what you're you're talking about here, but in a digital sense. Keeping it super safe is, is very important because, you know, Facebook will flag you if you're not safe. So make it, you can make it super educational. Like you can try to reverse engineer it too, where you know the end result, you want them to be a client on your CAM platform. Well, okay, well, what are some of the hiccups or objections they might have to signing up or buying tokens? Like, what are some of those things that you can kind of address initially without going against Facebook policy? Educating, I think, is a huge piece to it because uh, there are a lot of people out there that obviously during COVID are not going out dating and things like that, right? Who could probably benefit by a, by a certain cam product. So why not educate them maybe on, you know, ways they can interact with uh, females online, some sort of an educational piece. It could be, it helps having some sort of an influencer, maybe create a video around it, educating the audience and then supplementing that with that white paper. And now once you have them on email, now you can push your products, push your program, right? But using Facebook to educate instead of sell. So that's, uh, and, and do you think the, to, so let's say you were doing that with cams. Let's say I, I ran a survey and I collected some data from cam models and I started asking them, hey, what do fans do in your room other than tip, of course, that gets your attention that, that, that you really appreciate? You collected some data and then you wanted to share that data with Facebook users. And obviously the idea is if I'm a guy and I'm thinking about you know using cam sites, I want to stand out. Somehow I want the model to see me and go, that's the guy I really like. He's special. So the fantasy is, hey, I'm going to read this data, and I'm going to know what cam models like, and I'm going to be able to get their attention in the room. So that's maybe you're setting up something like that, let's just say. Would Facebook let you, like, if all you're doing is text, and you're saying, look, here's, we're going to give you some data about what cam models are interested in, and all you're doing is getting them to download a white paper and collecting, would they let you do that? Or would they say, no, you're talking about, um, you know, uh, adult industry stuff. We're not going to let you advertise that. No, I think, I think you're perfectly safe with that. We never had a single problem with adult site broker ever. And it was all about, you know, brokering adult websites. So we never had a problem with that. Adult was all in the messaging. You know, we were very clear. We wouldn't say what type of site it was. We wouldn't say it's a Pukaki site we're selling here. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't say that, obviously. But but I was surprised because we would drive traffic to the site and it wouldn't pick up the fact that one of the tabs on Adult Site Broker was talking about the Bukaki site. So that kind of surprised me. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, doing the, the kind of statistical stuff, it, it, I think that's amazing. I think that's a great approach to take. Um, I, I, and I'm 99% sure Facebook won't flag that just because it's informative content. But I want to, I, I want to, while you're talking to Connor, I, I had this, this is a great idea that uh, for cams that I think, you know, would be a huge uh, opportunity for a lot of businesses out there or cam, cam businesses out there is get a few influencers and they couldn't, they might not even be influencers. They could just be, you can call them public figures. Um, you know, get a few of your models creating Facebook accounts. Now keep it super safe, make it a public figure. That's all they are is a public figure and model. They're not a cam model. They're just a model and have them, you know, talk about their workouts, talk about what they ate for breakfast, what they like to do on Friday night. This is the content theme that's going through their social media, run ads to those accounts. So they have, so they can build up this following. And now you have a following of people that are engaged with this particular model. Let's call it, you know, uh, let's call it a redhead model. Okay. Now you have this, you know, you could have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand followers now. And now she has this, Hey, I just came out with a 12 month calendar. 
downloadable PDF. Opt in now, targeting her followers of her page to get this free downloadable calendar. Boom. People are submitting their information. You got them over to email. Now you can sell your cam product. You know what I mean? Like that is a great entry point to that journey because they built this, uh, you know, they build this attraction to this model. And now it's just a seamless transition to, wow, this model is actually doing nude live shows. Imagine you find out the hottest girl in your high school is now doing on a, doing a cam show. You're going to pay to go check that out. You're going to, you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I'm just saying like, you now know this person, not as necessarily as doing, uh, being a cam model or the fact that she's e- even doing any of this stuff on a campsite, but you know her because, you know, it's this attraction you built for her because you like the morning routine that she does. You know, you like her personality and like what she's talking about. She's interested in what you're interested in. She's a gamer, whatever it is. It's just a really good journey to get them to lead. Once again, your example sparks a story. I uh, actually went to high school with uh, Clint Eastwood's daughter, Allison Eastwood. And, and she, it's funny, she, she was such a screw up even back in, in high school. Uh, but uh, I always like had like a little bit of a semi crush on her, probably because you, you're young, you're like, it's Clint Eastwood's daughter. And she ended up in a few movies. He put her in some movies, um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I don't know if you saw that with John Cusack. And she has a small role in that. And she was in, I think it was, was it? No, The Mule. I think she was in The Mule. She played his daughter, I think, in The Mule. But she actually had some Playboy pictures that came out too. And it was just like, holy shit. It's like, wow, like a freaking cl- this classmate I had a crush on back in the day. And that was a trip. But, and, but seeing her in a movie was weird too, because it was so. Like normally you see actors and they get into the role. And when I saw her, she's not a really good actress. You know, he put her in there because it's, you know, hey, it's dad and uh, her brother's much better, but he, he, she wasn't very good. But it was weird watching the movie because you're watching this movie and you got all these characters. And it's like, oh, and there's Allison like pretending to be a character, like because you know the person. It's just it's not the same uh, um, uh, effect. But that's that's too funny. Uh, that, I do remember the impact of everybody in the school just like, holy shit, Allison was in Playboy. That's fucking great. No, imagine she had a fan page, right? Imagine she had a fan page on Facebook as a public figure. Totally, totally cool with Facebook. They're not flagging anything. She's just talking about a regular routine. And then suddenly you find out through email that she's doing a live cam show on Tuesday night at nine o'clock. You're going to show up. You're going to show up, you know? So I, I just think that is an approach that I don't, I haven't heard of it being utilized yet, but based on, you know, the work that we've done, it, it, that is definitely a play. We worked with dating companies where we did take that approach and it worked successfully in generating a low cost lead. You know what I mean? So it could definitely work for camps. Okay. So as we're uh, starting to run out of time, I did want to ask you real quickly about something a little off topic from Facebook, but in the social media realm, I guess. Um, and that's Clubhouse. I've, I've, been talking to uh, others on this podcast and kind of hinting at Clubhouse. It's I remember when Twitter hit the scene and it sounded like a really dumb idea to me. I'm like, just tweets and who the who the fuck is going to do this? You know, these short little messages. Now I'm on Twitter all the time. It's like I love the platform and uh, I'm actually a big advocate of that platform. I think it's fantastic and it takes a while to get to to know it. But my first impression of it was that's one of I consider my big failures of foresight to see. Twitter for what it actually could be useful for. My first thought was that's dumb. It was like my other big failure was my first thought on mobile when all these guys were showing up at adult conventions going, Hey, mobile phones are going to be really big. And we didn't have smartphones yet. And it was these little flip phones with a little screen. My kid's going to jerk off with a fucking phone in their hand or something. And yeah, whoops, I got that one wrong. Uh, so clubhouse, what do you think about clubhouse? Is this something that we should all be paying attention to? Is this a, a rising star or is it more of a fad that's like, you know, people are talking about now under the pandemic and it's going to go away. I don't think it's going away. I, th- I think, I think the way that platform is building is so brilliant. 
It's like, you know, the, the certain level of exclusivity that the platform creates when you join it. You know, when you sign it, for those that don't know, when you join the, the Clubhouse platform, um, you get one invite. You can invite one person. And, you know, I've talked to people that have had to wait two, three weeks to get actually into the platform um, and because you can only get in through invite. Um, so creating that certain uh, level of exclusivity creates this sort of curiosity amongst people to be like, hey, what is this whole clubhouse thing about? But if, you know, if you're on the platform, I like to compare it to a combination of podcasting meets conference calling, where it's very engaging for everybody in there. You can speak, you can speak to the lights of Grant Cardone. You know what I mean? And to the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk and some of these people who are on the platform, um, you know, opening up Q&As to an entire audience, right? So it's 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 quite – one thing, one caveat to it is it does kill productivity. I can't sit there and listen to Clubhouse on my phone at the same time when I'm trying to get work done. So it is kind of a productivity killer. Um, but it, it, it is good for creating, uh, you know, certain groups, developing relationships with people. Um, the platform will evolve. Right now, you can't exactly direct message somebody on a platform. Um, you got to go to their bio and click on their Twitter handle or their Instagram handle to go and actually communicate uh, with those people. But um, I think it's good. You got a lot of heavy hitters on the platform right now. There are a few adult groups on there as well right now. Um, but yeah, again, it is in its infancy stage, but it's growing pretty quickly. And I'm, I'm interested, interested to see where it goes, but I definitely think it's going to be a platform to watch for as it as it evolves and, and opportunities arise for monetization. Yeah, it, it, and that spe- it speaks, Clubhouse to me speaks to that, the repetition of marketing message and, and the effectiveness of that that we were talking about earlier. As, as I've mentioned before, the first time I heard about Clubhouse, it went in my mind and then out of my mind like very, very quickly. Then you hear about it two, three times, four times. And it's like, all right, what is this thing, man? I guess I'm going to have to go learn another platform or or figure it out. Um, You know, and as I get older, it's like the thought of having to maintain a presence on another platform in any way, shape or form, you know, sounds a little bit more like a chore uh, than anything else. But, you know, that's what that's part of what we do. We have to, you know, you have to stay up on where people are and where people are going and you have to be open to learning these new things. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely going to have to look into it. We've had, why not as a company has already sort of been poking around there. Well, look, I mean, like it goes back to what we continuously keep saying. If there's one takeaway, anybody out there is listening for today, it's, it's increasing your ad frequency. Do you have to be on every single platform out there? Absolutely not. But you know, if you're a business that cares about getting in front of your audience time and time again, then, then yeah, if you're at the, if you're at the why not summit and, and, and those people that are in your audience are in an adult group on clubhouse then go on clubhouse. If they're over there on Twitter, hanging out on, on the hashtag, why not summit, then get over on Twitter on the hashtag, why not summit and start communicating with them. I'm doing that every single time I go to a trade show. Sometimes I can be dumbfounded um, when sponsors go to a trade show and they don't leverage the opportunity to get it in front of that audience multiple times, whether it be through a Facebook ad targeting a venue when you're sponsoring the event, whether it be through promoting it on Clubhouse, starting a group about the event, talking about the event. You know what I mean? There's just so many endless opportunities for brands to increase that ad frequency. And that's the one thing you've got to do. And, and Facebook's a great platform for it because of the retargeting abilities. There are still apparently some companies using ICQ still. I, I spoke with Lexi from Bonga Cash and she said they they talk with affiliates sometimes even via ICQ. It's like the uh, Man, the adult industry keeping ICQ alive after all, all these years. That's that's great. Hey, man, is there anything I didn't think to ask you that you think I should have asked in the course of this conversation, but maybe I didn't think about asking? No, anything? you know what? I think one thing we, we didn't really touch on the importance of it. And I mean, Connor, your proof in the concept right now is, is the power of podcasting. 
right? Like doing this is great. Having conversations like this is great. And it's serving your audience. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, any brand out there that, that, I mean, we did it ourselves. We have the merge marketing podcast and, and any opportunity you have to, you know, you don't necessarily need to get all these subs. It's not about the subs for us. It's about having meaningful conversations that are adding value to our audience. And maybe, you know, three months down the road, six months down the road, it could evolve to something bigger and better. But I definitely think there's a lot of power to podcasting, which is another part of the whole ad frequency thing we keep talking about. Yeah. And I'll just say as another bragging point with the podcasting thing, um, this is another area where why not sort of led the the internet, I think. I mean, y- you know, we were ahead of our time. We had a site uh, back in the day, again, pre-Facebook, pre-all that stuff called Why Not Radio. And we were doing it like with radio shows. And Why Not had its own show. We called it the Hump Day Lunch Show. And um, Bob Rice back in the day when he was with Why Not had uh, would host it with Jay Capito as his co-host. And they would do this funny, uh, you know, funny show and the industry would tune in to listen to it. It was live, like it was a live show. So you could tune in and listen live. This was before there was an iTunes and people, so it was a little less on demand and a little more live. And then we brought in all these different radio shows from the industry. And, you know, why, so why not radio was around before I think anybody even heard the word podcasting and what podcasting was. It was just us a little ahead of our time and we get, good audiences and it was fun and we had a live chat going on during the show so people could interact with the the guests so that's a little like clubhouse i guess is what you're saying it was audio so there was no video but people were in the chat room listening to the audio live and they typed their questions or they'd interact with the hosts and so jay could say hey you know this guy's asking about you know blah 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 and everybody could respond and the and the guests could respond that was a lot of fun back in the day i'm really proud that why not has that history and and yeah podcasting now is on a a whole nother level. Um, it's just, it's, it's such a big area now for the internet. Um, there's so many podcasts and, and, and so many different, uh, ways to choose from. And I do like you, I turn podcasts on and I, I get some work done or I'm even like lately I've been for nostalgic reasons late at night playing a classic world of Warcraft just to like revisit 20 years ago in a, in a massive online multiplayer games. And then I'll just put on like my favorite podcast and listen to them while I'm just sitting there playing a game or while I'm cooking dinner, you know, I'll have a podcast on that I can just listen to. Uh, so it is a great way, I think, to to reach people. And it's as an as a listener uh, as well. It's very I appreciate what I get from podcasts. They're they're informative and they help put a lot of great ideas in my head that I use as I work. So that's that's my thoughts on on podcasting. Where do you podcast? Where do you listen to a podcast? Where are you, what are you usually doing? I use iTunes. So like I I usually I'm, I'm either driving. So I, sometimes I'm driving somewhere. I'll listen. Or I'm, I'm, you know, doing getting a little exercise in, or I'm, I'm listening to, um, I'm sorry, I'm watching, I'm uh, playing a video game, or I'm cooking dinner. So those are usually the four things I have. I like sometimes I'll put them on while I'm working, but they can be a little distracting because my mind's on what I'm doing while I'm working. But usually it's one of those four things. And between dinner and 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 downtime, like gaming or whatever, um, it's just it's a great way to. Uh, to, to kind of consume like some podcasts while I'm without having to stop everything I'm doing and just listen to the podcast alone. It's like having a, a conversation on, uh, which is great because, you know, we're in the pandemic, we're home all the time, you know, um, and so having those, getting to listen to those conversations while we're doing other things, it just, it adds a little bit of that feeling like we're, you know, getting that, that interaction, I don't interaction is the right word, but that social, uh, um, you know, connection, I guess, with other people, even if all you're doing is listening to what they have to say. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I mean, one thing I've done during COVID is, is I've, I, I, I run every single day, every single morning I run. And I found by listening to podcasts and running, it takes your mind to another place where you don't need to focus on this 
stupid, redundant running I got to do every day. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just takes you away. And that's why I love listening to podcasts while I'm running. Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge with, uh, with, uh, um, cardio exercise it is it takes time and the repetitiveness of it is can be boring as shit. So you're right. Podcasting is a way to, uh, to really alleviate that. Um, hey, I really appreciate you come on the show. I'm a big fan of yours. You've got wonderful, uh, ideas and in, you've given some incredible specifics here. I hope everybody is thinking about what you had to say and kind of thinking about their own plans and how, you know, how they might implement some of these ideas. Terrific hearing from you. So just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show and for giving everybody these thoughts on Facebook and, and how they might get started. Thanks, Connor. Had a lot of fun. This is great. Thank you. Thank you.